Today is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Israel confirms a large number of hostages have died. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe, leave a rating. That would help us out a lot. We'd appreciate it. You can email us as well. Quick Start Podcast at cbn.org. We're getting through the news of the cray here together. And joining me now, as always, Billy Hallowell, Trey Gones, Phillips. A lot coming up on the podcast today, guys. On the focus story, man, some tragic details here on a pastor and daughter in Texas. Yeah, really horrific story. Uh, the the wife and the daughter both died in a car accident. The pastor was driving, and the community there is just reeling. So we'll get into those details. Yeah, it's the latest in like a couple of tragic things I've seen with pastors lately. So we definitely need to be praying. We'll give you the details on how um, and what to be praying for specifically as we go through those stories. And on the main thing, we are taking a look at how U.S. is vowing more Middle East airstrikes. This is in response to the attacks that proxies, Iranian proxies have been doing on America and everything going on with Israel. There's updates there. The hostages, as I mentioned, there's a lot going on there. CBN's Chris Mitchell has more on that on today's main thing. Also, housekeeping, don't forget to subscribe to DC Debrief with John Stolness and Newsmakers hosted by Billy Hallowell. We got both those CBN news podcasts for you. The link's in the description here. So go ahead, subscribe, make sure you're catching every one of those episodes. All right, housekeeping all set. Let's head on over to the news here in 90 seconds. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected Hamas's proposed ceasefire deal on Wednesday. He was criticizing the terrorist demands as, quote, delusional. He reiterated during a press conference that Israel would not bend to Hamas's demands. They called for a four and a half months truce to release the remaining 136 hostages in Gaza. But Israel did also just confirm that 31 hostages have died. Prime Minister said Israel's forces would just proceed in Gaza until achieving, quote, absolute victory in the war that's now been going on for four months. As I said, Chris Mitchell will have more on today's main thing. Actor Gina Carano sued Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney com uh, Company, earlier uh, this week over her February 2021 firing from The Mandalorian. She claims she was let go for expressing her conservative views on social media. She's doing this lawsuit with the help of Elon Musk and X. And an 85-year-old Indiana pastor has reportedly died after saving his wife and granddaughter from two stray pit bulls that viciously mauled him. Holly Watkins, the granddaughter of the late pastor William Mundine of Faith Tabernacle Church in Indianapolis, said her grandfather endured 25 minutes of a vicious attack by a group of pit bulls that came into the family's backyard on Tuesday morning. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can go check out more stories over at cbnnews.com guys i don't the whole that i mean the whole thing is tragic but these situations with some of these dogs i mean i, I had a neighbor that had a big pit bull it was a sweet dog but man that thing was just so intimidating with its size it got out one time and uh, the way our yards were it kind of went our backyards were connected so it went through my yard into my front yard and these people were walking down the 
sidewalk in my yard and they were like, Hey, get your dog. I'm like, that ain't my dog. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I knew the dog. So I called it and I'm telling it to come and it's looking at me. And I was like, I didn't know if it was going to attack me or not, but that those things are big. They are big muscular dogs. So man, you just can imagine an 85 year old man trying to handle a couple of them. And it's just, I mean, a brave thing to do to save his granddaughter and his wife, but man, that is just, just tragic. Yeah, no, it is. And I think, you know, look, there's certain types of dogs you get for certain reasons, right? There's some dogs who are hunting dogs or some dogs you want for protection of your house, right? And so I, I think people get really, this is one of those debates. I don't want to get as right. negative comments here, you know, but where people get really fired up about different breeds, but you know, there are different breed personalities. You know, I don't know if that's what's at play here, but at the end of the day, it's a horrific tragedy. And it puts, just like we're going to talk about in, in a few moments here, but it really puts churches and faith communities in uh, really tough positions too, as they deal with public mourning in these kinds of circumstances. People are watching to see as believers how we're going to react, yeah. right? And so it's a real moment to sort of testify to God's goodness, even in the midst of these tough challenges. Mm. Well, as far as why people get dogs, I get dogs to be my best friend. And to, and to play with. So getting a big dog that could be aggressive, it just, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's just a, a scary thing, right? You never know how any dog is going to react. Right. Uh, there, there are certain breeds that like you were saying, Billy, that people have some concerns about and questions about, but also I just think in general, you never know what's going to happen. It's an animal after right. all, right? So you, you know, you don't know how it's going to react, but I think you're absolutely right about how we as Christians have an obligation to respond. And hopefully the people in that community are seeing how the Christians there, uh, how the believers there, that, that church community, how they're responding to that situation, um, compassionately and, and with grace. And hopefully it'll be an opportunity to have some gospel conversations. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, look, this is as tragic as it is and unexpected. Um, it's, you know, you're going to have questions. People are going to have questions. I mean, yeah. what is going on here? This seems so senseless, but nothing is senseless with God. God is sovereign over all things, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and he's sovereign over all of it. He's got a purpose and a plan for all of it. And so, yeah, as you guys were saying, that's what we have to keep in focus in these situations, even, even when it's tough. And it certainly is for that pastor there in, in Indiana, and we just certainly our prayers with them as they deal with this and, um, you know, navigate this uh, time of, of grieving. So, but that's, it's a similar tone here for the focus story today. And there's, there's been a couple of these. It's been kind of crazy. You know, we're, we're always looking at the headlines and seeing what's going on. And this is multiple now instances of seeing pastors really suffer some tragedies and a Texas community is also mourning after a pastor's wife and daughter were killed in a tragic accident over the weekend. What's the story here? Yeah, this is Pastor Mark McDaniel. He's a 58-year-old pastor at New Hope Community Church in Venus, Texas. He was driving Saturday. <clears throat> he had his wife, Brandy, in the car and his 17-year-old daughter, Hannah, and he apparently lost control of the car. He's actually been speaking out since our initial coverage of this, um, but he blacked out, lost control, hit a guardrail, and both his wife and daughter were killed. His daughter was killed instantly. His wife later died um, at a, a local hospital. And so they were on their way back from a high school basketball tournament. And 
there were apparently buses of kids who also witnessed the aftermath of this accident who were following them or behind them um, from her school. And so there's just multiple layers of trauma there. Again, she, she died there at the scene. And so it's just a really, really heartbreaking situation. The pastor himself has said that, you know, people always come to him to talk about their grief and their heartache. And now yeah. he's in shock after experiencing this. But he said, quote, I was driving and was overcome by coughing and I blacked out. We hit the guardrail. He then said, I was asking Hannah, his daughter, to wake up. And when she didn't, obviously I knew that's when my heart died. And it's just your heart dies, you know, hearing that and, yeah. and seeing that pain that he's going through. Well, and as a dad in a family of, of six here, um, for me, driving like on the family trips and we're going somewhere that's sort of like my job, right? I'm sure it's different for other families, but I've kind of, I like driving. I like going on the road trips mostly because I get to pick whatever snacks I want, but I like driving and I take <laughs> that responsibility. And so, I mean, I can only imagine what he's feeling, not only just the reality of the loss itself, but the fact that he was driving I'm sure he's wrestling with that. I know I would be. And so we definitely need to be praying for him on that front. But we'll talk about that more in a minute. What's the uh, church saying here, Billy, in the wake of this? You know, they, they did what Christians and churches, you know, should do. They came together on Sunday, a day after this happened. Again, it's New Hope Community Church. They gathered for a time of prayer and to really just reflect on the loss. They read scripture, <clears throat> they played music, and uh, they're one of the leaders of the church said, we are gathered together this morning as a group of wounded healers. It's not a normal day by any means. Each of you have woken up in an altered state of reality and normal has left the building. And so they really dealt with it head on. Um, one guy at the church said, we don't want to turn this into a memorial service. We want it to be a service where we can lean into the Holy Spirit of God and be renewed so that we can then breathe in, breathe out, repeat, and put one foot in front of the other and move forward. And I would just note that the, the pastor himself, he said, my daughter and wife are with the Lord and one day we will be reunited. He said that in an interview with WFAA um, separately from this event. But but I thought that was powerful to just hear him affirm that he knows that they will be back together again yeah, eventually. It's the hope we have as Christians. How are others in the community responding outside of the church here? Yeah, so Pentego Christian Academy, where Hannah attended his daughter, they um, they held a, an event where they released balloons. They um, put up a post just talking about who Hannah was. They wanted to honor her. They said, you know, she made a permanent mark on all of their lives. She wasn't just a student. She was a friend, a classmate, a teammate, a, a source of inspiration. They talked about her infectious laughter, her compassion, just sounded like a really great kid. Um, and also, in addition to the school, the um, Accommodated Learning Academy, where Brandy, the pastor's wife, um, where she taught, they were also mourning on their Facebook page, and they said, we are rejoicing because we know that they are in heaven with Jesus, but filled with sorrow for the peace of our school that mm -hmm. is now missing. So just, again, heartbreaking, heartbreaking situation. Yeah, and I also recall seeing too, Billy, I don't know if you saw this uh, nugget, but one of the, you know, she played basketball, as you said, they're coming back from a tournament. One of the rival schools, they wore her school's colors uh, to some event or to a game or something like that. So in, in honor of her. So touching to see other people who are normally your your rivals, you know, reaching out on a, on a human level here. So, so how can we be praying in the midst of all this? 
Yeah, I think praying for the pastor who's admitting that obviously he's in shock, praying for his faith to be sustained. We forget that pastors are people too. Yeah. They go through difficulties. Praying for the community. And, you know, I think about the other kids, these 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds around Hannah who, you know, were her friends or who knew of her and they have a lot of questions now. They have questions about suffering and questions about God that are natural questions that arise in these kinds of circumstances. So I think praying for that school community, particularly the young people there um, and all the kids who are going to miss Brandy, you know, at the school where she taught. I mean, it's just so many layers, but just peace and for God to work through all things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Trey, it's a very difficult thing for young people, especially high school, maybe not fully mature in their emotions and how to handle things yet a lot of them anyway. I know everybody's different, but in general. And so to deal with the the sudden loss of of one of their loved ones is, is tough. Yeah, I think you know dealing with loss at any age is difficult. As Christians, we know that the you know death is part of the fall. It's not how we were wired. It's not was not God's initial plan. So yeah, I think it's foreign to us whenever we're losing somebody. So the grief process is is difficult. But especially when you're younger, like you were saying, and you don't have those relationships that that you're able to to lean on somebody else. You don't have those deep friendships or deep familial necessarily uh, relationships with other people. So you're kind of left reeling and and trying trying to figure it out for yourself because the first loss of somebody significant to you um, is the most difficult, right? It's the one that's going to be the most impactful because it's the first time it's happened to you. So yeah, yeah, certainly being in prayer for, for the people left behind, the loved ones left behind is, is really important, but also the hope of heaven is encouraging and hopefully that provides comfort to that family and those, those community members. Amen. Yeah, we'll definitely be adding these, both of these communities to the ones that we talked about today to our prayer list. And I hope you do at home as well as clearly uh, they could use, and, and I'm sure they covet all of our prayers. So I appreciate you putting that one on our radar so we can be praying for that. We're going to head on over to the main thing right now. This is another area we need to be praying for Israel. This war is still going on four months now. And the U.S. is vowing more airstrikes in return. And Netanyahu is saying more than half of the Hamas forces have been defeated. But now we're learning that hostages have died. We're learning um, that this Hamas wants this four-month and this ridiculously long truce deal that clearly Israel is not going to accept. So there, there's a lot going on. And CBN's Chris Mitchell is our Middle East Bureau Chief. He is in Israel. He has the latest in an interview with CBN's Gordon Robertson. That's today's Main Thing. Iranian-backed militia continue to carry out attacks in the region, despite the U.S. launching dozens of strikes over the weekend in retaliation for the deaths of three U.S. service members. An attack near a U.S. base in Syria killed six members of a U.S.-allied Kurdish militia. The Pentagon said more strikes against Iran's proxies are coming. This is the start of our response, and there will be additional actions taken to hold the IRGC and affiliated militias accountable for their attacks on U.S. and coalition forces. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Saudi's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman Monday. It's Blinken's fifth Mideast visit since the war in Gaza. He faces major challenges. Hamas and Israel are at odds over a potential truce and Israel dismissed calls for a Palestinian state. The UN announced it's launched an independent review of UNRWA after reports that its workers took part in the October 7th massacre. 
The IDF says it's raided the Hamas headquarters in Khan Yunus and found training materials for the October 7th attacks. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told IDF soldiers Israel has defeated more than half of Hamas's forces in Gaza, including 18 of 24 brigades. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant says Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar is on the run. Sinwar moves from hiding place to hiding place. He is unable to communicate with his surroundings. And in recent days, IDF fighters have found the materials in the places he has been recently. And thanks to them, we are improving our operations, deepening our grip on Hamas plans. Gilad also warned that Israel is prepared to take action against Hezbollah on its northern border if diplomacy fails. Hezbollah will not be able to threaten the residents of Israel through raids or through direct fire. I say here explicitly and unequivocally, if the political move does not succeed, we will not hesitate to use military force for the return of the residents safely to their homes. Currently, about 80,000 Israelis have left their homes on Israel's northern border. We all abandoned our homes, our businesses, everything. And that's it. The city is deserted. Scared people. In case of war, hospitals in the north are preparing underground wards. Well, Chris Mitchell joins us now from our Jerusalem Bureau. So, Chris, tell us what does Israel need to do to finish the goal of eliminating Hamas? Well, Gordon, first of all, they nearly completed their goal of controlling Khan Yunus, one of the major strongholds in the south of Gaza. The next major goal is going further south to Rafah. And that's significant, Gordon, because it's the last major Hamas stronghold in Gaza. But it's also going to be very sensitive. One, because many refugees have already fled there, more than a million. Uh, and some Hamas terrorists have actually infiltrated in those refugees and will be using them as human shields. And the other reason is because it's really on the Egyptian border. And Egypt has said it really doesn't want any Palestinians flooding into Egypt. And another goal is, uh, is as it was reported, reported in our, in our story, the capture of the head of Hamas, Yahya Sinwar, fiercely devoted to destroying Israel, killing Jews, one of the masterminds of October 7th. And he would have tremendous symbolic value if Hamas, if Israel can kill or capture him, be a major blow to the remaining Hamas fighters. But he also, Gordon, he controls the fate of the hostages. And it's likely that he has many living hostages near him as human shields. He's been in the negotiations for their release. But it does sound like the IDF is getting very close to him. Uh, and they're reporting that he's just trying to survive and he's lost control of Hamas right now. What, what's your prediction here on, on the length of time necessary to... Uh, eliminate Hamas, um, uh, secure Gaza, uh, stop the terrorist attacks to Israel. Uh, do you ha is there any kind of time frame? Can anyone predict uh, how long this is going to take? Well, the IDF has been saying for a while it's going to take months, but I, I actually, uh, Gordon, I think it's actually going to take less time than that. I think they're going, uh, their goals are, are actually going uh, fairly well. Uh, and you have to realize that what they're fighting, Gordon, is a, is a warfare that has never been done before. They're fighting above the ground and they're fighting below the ground. And uh, some uh, military historians said they're going to be studying what the IDF has done here for, for many, many years. 
And so, but I think they, they may be actually closer to what, uh, what may, many people may think. And, and then, uh, Gordon, the, the, many people say there's going to be an insurgency uh, phase where people are actually, uh, you know, insurgents, Hamas terrorists are going to infiltrate into the civilian population. And that may take a lot longer. Okay. Well, turning to the northern border, there's signs that Hezbollah will agree to Israeli demands. Uh, yeah, I, I think lost in this whole narrative of, of southern Lebanon is the UN set up a demilitarized zone. There, there aren't supposed to be any military assets, any troops, uh, any tunnels in this area of Lebanon, but here they are. So is Hezbollah going to pull back from the border? Well, it seems unlikely right now, uh, and war kind of does seem inevitable. One person in the North said on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 15 for actually going to war. Uh, the IDF said in a briefing the other day that they're ready for peace, but preparing for war defensively, offensively, and their preparedness. And their goal is to hold change the security situation in the North. As we reported, there's about 80,000 Israelis that can't go home. And the strategic goal right now, overall for the IDF, focus on Gaza, finish what they can, their major goals, and then turns toward the north and Hezbollah. And those diplomatic efforts that you were talking about, Gordon, you're right. In Resolution 1701 said back in 2006, after the second Lebanon war, that there could be no military infrastructure except for the Lebanese army and UNIFIL. And, and that really is really not worth the paper is written on, written on right now because Hezbollah has flooded South Lebanon. That's their major stronghold. Maybe Maybe 150,000 rockets, many of them precision guided. So if war or when war breaks out, Gordon, it's going to be very, very dangerous for all of Israel because these missiles can go all the way through all of Israel. Really, a, really an important time to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem and all of Israel. Uh, what's the danger for the U.S.? It, it looks like the conflict is widening uh, pretty dramatically just over the past 48 hours. Uh, with attacks on U.S. troops, uh, now yet another attack, um, and then the response from, from U.S. military, it, it, it looks like it's increasing. Are we in danger of a, a much broader war throughout the region? Uh, it does seem like that uh, way, Gordon. You know, hey, you have the Houthis right now in uh, in the Red Sea that are disrupting global trade. Uh, you know, that can't be something that you can uh, live with. Uh, and then those attacks on the uh, U.S. bases in Syria and Iraq. Uh, and it does seem like Iran is not going to stop these attacks uh, through their proxies, the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria. They're not going to stop Hezbollah, likely. Uh, so it looks like there's a brewing confrontation between not only these proxies of Iran throughout the region, but maybe even Iran itself. And we'll see what happens. But it does look like it is escalating right here in the Middle East, Gordon. All right, Gordon, Chris, thanks for that update there. Obviously, a lot to be praying for. I mean, we've got a... We've, We've lengthened the prayer list today on today's podcast episode. A lot of things uh, that hopefully we all jot down and and are diligent about praying for. But all right, that's going to leave us on this Friday junior edition of the Quick Start Podcast with time for one last thing. <laughs> 
So we're going to look at John 15, 5. It says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's so true. Whenever we try to do things on our own, we end up just spinning our wheels. Quickest way to a dumpster fire is do it on your own. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Billy translation of yeah, that verse. Yeah, that's the, the, the BLT, the Billy Living Translation. Is that what we call it? <laughs> I was ready I for it. a sandwich. Oh, yeah, me too. I, uh, yeah, agree. All right. Well, good spot to leave it here, guys. Well, before we do any more damage on this Friday Junior episode of the podcast, as always, get on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise on us. We shall return tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then. <laughs>